Welcome back, dear listener. Last time we uh, read chapter 12, Canterbury Tales, Packer Ponderings, and where we featured the alpacas. Well, I'm pleased to announce that uh, this week we had the birthing of our beautiful young new boy, Levi, a little brown, beautiful creer born to Indiana. He's uh, currently wrapped up in a fluorescent yellow coat because the temperatures have dropped quite, quite significantly today, so he's keeping nice and warm in his little fluoro vest. Um, today's chapter is Chapter 3, Rare Rabbit Rescue. During the chapter I mentioned our newsletter, which made me think I ought to tell you where you can come and visit us. You can find us at warwicksfarm.com. I'll spell that for you. W-A-R-W-I-C-K-Z-F-A-R-M.com. And on the newsletter, sorry, on the website, you'll find our newsletter page, which goes back many, many, many years, full of stories of the farm and so forth. And that's what I'm referring to in this chapter. Anyway, we will begin chapter three. Rare Rabbit Rescue. Alpacas are a rare breed, but when we first got them, and the Aracana chickens before them, which are also a rare breed, they're the ones that lay the slightly green or blue-tinged eggs, we had no idea that one day Warwick's farm would be a rare breed's farm of some note. It was only after we became involved with the intriguing Enderby Island rabbit that we decided to do our bit for animal conservation. It was to the Enderby Island hutches that I headed off on my first day of, well, unemployment is such an ugly bird, my first day of freedom. The rustic homemade two-storey hutches we had secured a few weeks earlier from a rabbit breeder were warm and cosy and functional, but desperately needed a lick of paint and promised to keep me honestly employed for a couple of hours. It would be a useful way to fill in time as I waited for the phone and email to start alerting me to the enthusiastic response of those people I had offered my services to, to keep a few dollars rolling in. Those brilliant presentations I had made to business contacts offering my freelance services as an advertising copywriter and website content provider and business consultant would start to pay dividends very soon, I told myself. Meantime, I dipped my brush into the reddish-brown paint and daubed away at the hut, smiling at Xavier, our very first enderby, who was sitting in a temporary cage next to me. Elaine stepped off the veranda and walked towards me, a couple of coffee mugs in her hands, looking at my handiwork. Passing me my old office mug of steaming coffee, she asked, You did clean out that out first before you started painting, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I hesitatingly replied. Frowning slightly, she asked, are you sure? Uh, yeah, I replied, I, uh, with my hand, I said. Right, she replied, get a scrubbing brush and some water. No, she corrected, get a brush and some hot water and detergent. It's no good painting it when it's dirty and it needs to be germ-free for Xavier, she said with a loud sigh, shaking her head. Elaine is a retired senior nurse and as well as having a nurse's attitude to hygiene, she's also a perfectionist, well, not so much a perfectionist, more someone who likes to do things properly or not at all. Contemplating this thought as I cleaned my barely used paintbrush, I decided it was a very good tray, if not one the average male naturally embraces in all its glory. Xavier watched me intently with his dark brown eyes, dodging the occasional splash as I scrubbed away. He was a beautiful-looking rabbit with his wild-like streamlined body of dark grey fur speckled with white specks at the tips. It would be such a shame if this breed was soon to be lost forever, I thought. I imagine how difficult life must have been for the original Enderby Island rabbits. Enderby Island is the northernmost of the Auckland Island group, probably the closest islands before you hit Antarctica. 
and was an error located on the shipping charts in the day, a fair distance south of where it actually was, resulting in the latter half of the 19th century seeing a number of sailing ships founder on the island. When the bedraggled and hungry sailors were rescued, you could imagine how they insisted that some source of decent food was placed on the island in case they ever had the misfortune to be stranded there again. Their concerns were listened to, and the Victorian Acclimatisation Society of Australia arranged with the Melbourne Zoo for some rabbits to be delivered to the docks for transportation to Enderby Island. You can imagine how these poor rabbits felt, being taken from their fully serviced apartments in nice warm Melbourne, and unceremoniously dumped on a sub-Antarctic island. Being an officially uninhabited island in those days, no one really knows what actually happened, but, logically, most of the new arrivals would not have survived their first winter. Those that did survive were obviously the strongest, and due to the adverse conditions, Mother Nature decided to take pity on them. And within only a few decades, they had evolved into a totally different rabbit from the original ones from Melbourne, and were officially designated as a new breed, to be known as the Enderby Island Rabbit. I looked at Xavier in wonder, giving him a grin, stating, Wow, you're a pretty special furball, buddy, evolving that fast? And went to stroke his head to the cage. First putting my hand away as he tried to nip my finger before scampering to the back of the cage. So why, you may wonder, do we have enderbees in captivity when they should be running free and wild as nature intended? Well, that is because by 1992, the Department of Conservation was becoming increasingly concerned about how the introduced animals, especially the rabbits, were undermining and destroying the very rare flora on the island. Some of the plants are unique to Enderbee Island, and as the rabbits were an introduced species, it was decided that they would have to go before the flora did. The Rare Breeds Conservation Society of Canterbury approached the department, and they agreed to the capture of some of the rabbits before the cull started. Forty-nine rabbits were liberated and found a new sanctuary at Willowbank Wildlife Park in Christchurch, before being released to rare breeders like ourselves to help conserve this precious breed with such an amazing story of evolution. It would be nice if the story ended there, and they all lived happily ever after. However, that is currently not the case. From the, 99, from the 49 that came off Enderby, there are now only just over 150. To put that into perspective, if you were to take two wild rabbits, and in their ideal world, they mated as often as they could, and all their young survived and did the same and so on, within two years those original two rabbits would be responsible for 1.3 million. You can see why New Zealand, particularly in the earlier years, had uh, problems with its wild population of rabbits. With Enderby Island being only approximately 700 acres in size, Mother Nature had taught Enderbees how to curb their breeding instincts so as not to overpopulate the island and face starvation. Unfortunately, these instincts still apply, and they are very hard to breed. We also have a suspicion that the conditions in New Zealand are probably too kind for them, as far as climate is concerned, and they are probably too well cared for. There is always a risk when mankind interferes, no matter how well is in intention with the ways of nature. Glancing at my handiwork, I was pleasantly surprised to see that during my musings I had painlessly accomplished my task. The tired old weather-beaten double hutch unit, while still thirsty for paint, was at least now very clean, but too wet to paint for a while. I stretched my legs and surveyed the other end of bees watching me, their hutches shaded from the hot afternoon sun by the row of tall pine trees they backed onto. Approaching Beethoven's hutch, it suddenly dawned on me that I was probably looking at the world's rarest rabbit. While Enderbees are certainly very rare, Beethoven was even more precious. Gently but very firmly, I lifted him up and into my arms, 
making sure his back and bottom were supported and his legs unable to find any perches to spring out of my arms from. Being essentially still a wild rabbit, we had trained ourselves to handle them with much more securely than our domestic ones. Beethoven was a creme enderby, a very light fawn apricot colour with black points on his nose and ears. Creme enderbees have been found through researching have been found through researching the original rabbits from Melbourne Zoo to be a genetic throwback, going back to the original bloodlines emanating from the United Kingdom. Beethoven was one of only a dozen or so creme enderbees in existence and was very special. Little did I know that Beethoven was also to almost become the world's rarest roadkill twelve months later. It was a stinking hot February day the following year, and I was wearing a singlet and some rugby shorts, and I decided it would be a good to do a piece on Beethoven to go in the Warwick's Farm newsletter that was sent out to friends, visitors and guests, and whoever wanted a copy, full of updates of life and animals on the farm. I needed some photos to go with it, and had climbed over the wire netting perimeter of the end of the enclosure, where the bunnies were free to hop about, and let Beethoven out to hopefully create some great photo opportunities for him. Having taken quite a few of them, I then, as you do, reviewed them on my digital camera. Nice, nice one, delete, delete, really nice one, delete, delete, delete. Crouching down to take some more, I noticed a lot of empty space where Beethoven had so recently been and held my breath as I did a quick scan trying to locate him. There he was, on the wrong side of the netting, idly gnawing on a twig. With my pole starting to quicken, I considered my options. Bearing in mind he is basically a wild animal, and further, a prey animal whose first instinct is to flee, my options were few. Stealthily climbing over the netting, I prepared to slowly take one of two large paces. He was away from me. But as I did so, he hopped two more paces away from me, now doubling the distance. I was very aware of the noise of the vehicles racing down the highway on the other side of the trees, particularly as that was the direction Beethoven was headed. I tentatively took another step forward, wincing as Beethoven reciprocated with another long hop, couple of hops. He was now closer to the highway than he was to me. As major concern morphed into rising panic, I quietly retraced my steps in order to halt Beethoven's remorseful hops in the direction of imminent violent death. Stepping behind a hedge bordering part of the garden, I sprinted across to the next opening in the hedge, which brought me out on the other side of Beethoven, so that he was between me and the enclosure, both of us now parallel to the highway. Like a chess master, I skillfully and tactfully moved my quarry step by step towards the enclosure. Safety until finally he was back to the gap and I thankfully reached down to pick him up. Nothing important in life is ever easy, and so it was that with my fingers tantalizingly inches from him, Beethoven leapt into action and hopped into the middle of the stand of pine trees behind the enclosure and through another gap in the netting. With mounting frustration, I dived in after him, only to watch his little cottontail escape into the sheep paddock. All the while I was wondering in horror when Elaine was going to come over to call me in for lunch and discover what a wonderful rare breeds farmer I really was. He would be hopping too. Hopping mad. Joining Beethoven on the sheep paddock, I once again did a wide detour, and edging closer to him, dived again at him, missing him by a rabbit's leg, and realising that if I was to lose sight of him, he was going to be history. And so probably was I. That was when he burst into life, and disappeared from sight, into, and then, on a second burst, through the pine tree. Sweating profusely, adrenaline finally setting in big time, 
I threw myself in a swan dive head first into the base of the pine trees, and then with a classic rugby tackle, back into the enclosure where my fingers grasped over him around his midriff in triumph. I stood up in victory with a huge grin on my face, holding Beethoven tight against myself, listening to the applause of the crowd, or come to think of it, maybe that was a roaring of my ears from all the adrenaline. It was only after I popped Beethoven back into his hutch and my anxiety levels subsided that the throbbing pain began to arrive. I tentatively patted myself down with several agonising winces, and my hand came away with blood on it, and also the tattered remains of my rip signet. It is amazing how those jagged little broken branches at the base of pine trees can do so much damage as a human body hurtles against them at breakneck speed. But then again, maybe not so surprising. Stemming the blood flow slowly oozing out of my thigh and neck gashes, I made my way inside for a hot shower and a clean-up. What have you been up to this morning? Elaine inquired unseen from the lounge room, working away at a spinning wheel as she heard me limp down the hallway. Oh, not much. Just doing a bit of work around the end of the enclosure, I replied, heading for the bathroom. 